0: We're going to be start at verse 32 here in a few moments, uh, but wanted to share a few things before uh, we turn our attention fully to this text. Uh, one is just an ongoing thank you to each of you who make contributions to our general fund as a church. Uh, I want to always say thank you. I, that does not, it's never lost on me, at least not for long, of, of God's people and the generosity uh, that we have together where we pull funds from what God has given to us, uh, not just for the sake of a building or things like that, but to help the gospel be known here in our community and all over the world and so thank you uh, for your ongoing contributions. Uh, one update I wanted to, to let you know that I even just found out yes or a couple days ago and then I found out more details yesterday. Some of you know we've been in the long process of interviewing and trying to hire a man named Ben Shaw from England uh, to come here on staff and to begin service uh, here and helping lead uh, musical worship and eventually even helping oversee life groups and things like that in due time. Uh, he found out he had to jump through a lot of hoops legally, uh, through immigration and things, but the last hoop he had to jump through was jump through. Uh, this week he went to the U.S. Embassy in London and had an interview there and got the final green light, at least as far as legalities go. And so he's even looking at the day after Memorial Day. I think it's like May 28th. He's looking at flights to be able uh, to move here. And he's going to take a few weeks uh, to visit some American friends before he fully gets uh, launched into work here. But I wanted to publicly praise God and thank God for that let you know how excited I am. Yeah, how excited I am. Uh, I know some of you haven't gotten to meet him yet, but he's a dear brother. I mean, beyond just being able to serve us musically, I think he'll add to our body in tremendous ways, uh, even just being amongst us as a brother in the Lord, as someone who can uh, serve us, but also be served by us in that transition time. So wonderful uh, to hear that good news uh, this week. All right, if you're in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32, that's where we'll read here in a few moments. But I I was thinking from this text about suffering in our life, about uh, difficulties that we face. And no doubt, as I look out over amongst us this morning, uh, I I know many of the stories of your life. And you know some of the stories in mine. But um, most all of us, if not all of us, have endured, if we're believers in Christ, we've endured some intense times of suffering before even in our walk with Jesus, uh, that we've had different trials, different things, some even really recent. Some of you are walking through some right now, uh, things that I'm aware of, difficulties, sufferings, trials in your life Uh, i have had conversations with many of you and you've had with me and sufferings in my life uh, in recent years of suffering death of children death of loved ones loss of jobs uh, loss of health broken the implosion of relationships things like that we have all had sufferings as christians Uh, But I think few of us in the room, unless there's little things I'm unaware of, few of us in the room have experienced deep suffering because we are Christians. Uh, Many of us, most of us have experienced suffering as Christians, but there's a significant difference between just suffering as a Christian, which is hard enough, uh, and suffering because you are a Christian. Uh, Having opposition come directly to you because of your proclamation of Jesus, because of what you're claiming or what you're calling other people to believe. And I am thankful to God, don't get me wrong, I am thankful to God uh, that we live in a time and place where the opposition, at least intense opposition to us as Christians, is fairly limited and muted. Uh, God has, has blessed us with freedoms in our country that I don't take for granted. And God has blessed us even in the West with a, at least a history, no matter what you make of it, where Christianity at least has been respected uh, and if not held in high regard. Uh, but it is, it is a key difference between suffering as a Christian and suffering because of our Christian faith. And it is hard enough, isn't it, to persevere in our faith when we suffer as a Christian. Uh, We go through so many things that are perplexing to us that may be totally unrelated to us practicing our faith in the public square. But we have trials, difficulties, losses, griefs, things that come to us that confuse us that make us scratch our heads and uh, wonder, what is the Lord up to? Why is he doing this? What, what good could possibly come to this? And sometimes he doesn't give us ability to see the fruit that comes from those things. That sort of suffering is hard enough. But I want you to imagine, because this is what the situation will be for the people we are going to be reading this letter that it was written to uh, here in a moment. I want you to imagine suffering as uh, not just as a Christian, but because you're a Christian. That is a whole level of difficulty, I think, that, that many of us have not experienced. Where, as we think about persevering in the faith, it's one thing when you're dealing with your sufferings in general that confuse you about God's providence, it is a whole other thing when the very reason you are suffering, the very reason you're being mistreated, the very reason that you have pain is because of your faith in Jesus. When you experience things like that, when brothers and sisters experience things like that presently or all over the world, it is far more tempting, I think, for them. And I have to speak secondhand on this because I don't think I've experienced this. It is far more tempting for them to want to abandon their faith in Christ than it is for us just when we suffer as Christians. Because the very reason they're suffering is because of their faith. So they imagine if I remove that, maybe things will relent. Maybe I can get back to a place of stability and calm and peace. And so the temptation to walk away from the faith, to abandon it, I think radically increases when the source of your suffering is your faith itself. Right? And while that experience, I think, is rare for us in our culture today, uh, where we suffer because of our Christian faith, it has been a common play, a common experience throughout time for many of our brothers and sisters around the world even today and historically to suffer because of their faith in Christ. And I am not a prophet, I don't believe, but my guess would be, if the Lord gives me a normal span of life, my guess would be that even in my lifetime, that that may start to shift even here. Uh, Like in our culture, in our day, and I'm not an alarmist, if you know me, that that is not what I'm like, but it would not stun me if in the decades ahead, uh, if we would start to experience maybe some softer forms, but eventually harder forms of opposition to us for our faith, mistreatment for our faith in Jesus. And I want to be frank uh, with us as a church, and not just us as CCC, but as a, a church more collectively, I don't think we are well prepared for that. I do not think we are, that we are ready for that. Uh, I think we are comparatively soft people when it comes to experiencing opposition for our faith. Uh, and that's, that's a broad umbrella, a blanket statement, but I think we are soft when it comes to how we experience opposition to our faith as Christians. I know many people who, will, and I can feel tempted to this myself, we will act like martyrs when people tweet something mean about Christians. Right? Or uh, when reporters or authors make snide comments about Christians, we'll just act so stunned and appalled. And uh, how could they? I, I know I have talked with people who we shudder at the threat of having tax-exempt statuses removed from churches. Like we gasp and we think that that would be the end of the world. And how, how could we endure? How could we press on? I think often we faint at the mere whiff of suffering as Christians in our day. It, I, I think we do. But today, in God's kindness, we come to a text that is kind of like a time capsule for us. I mean, the whole letter of Hebrews is, but this section in particular is kind of like a time capsule for us to see that even in the earliest days of Christianity, and then many times since, but definitely then in what we're about to read, Christians were suffering because of their faith in Christ. Not just as Christians, but because they were Christians, and they faced these things, and they endured them. And in God's kindness, we have a text where we can read about this and how this author at least is trying to help them continue to endure opposition, continue to endure suffering that comes to them because of their faith in Christ. And I trust that the Lord will use it to help prepare us uh, for maybe similar things that may come down the road for suffering as a Christian. But even in the, in the meantime, that uh, even before opposition ever rises against us for our faith, I think this text will help us just to endure how we suffer more generally speaking as Christians to make sure that we're persevering in our faith to the very end. So this may feel foreign to us, but it would be wise for us to listen. Uh, So I'm going to read here in uh, verse 32 through the end of this chapter, verse 39 this, I've said this many, every Sunday we've been uh, in this book that I I believe at least probably 95% of the Sundays, just reminding you what the setting is. This is a letter written to early Jewish Christians, ethnically Jewish Christians who were starting to receive opposition for their faith and they were tempted to go back to their old practices of the Jewish faith and the Jewish customs that they had. And I've said that many times. This text is where I ground that. Like I've kind of, I've read the letter before I started preaching it, obviously, right? This uh, little section of the letter is what I think shows us that, what they were dealing with, what they were facing in their life. And so uh, I want to read this for us, verses 32 through 39, and then we'll walk back through it. So the author, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, continued writing this letter this way. But recall the former days, when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, This is the word of God. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. I want to summarize uh, the, this text and this message this way. And it's, it's simple, and there was actually a really similar passage to this earlier in Hebrews, but we benefit from hearing the same things again and again and again. At least I do, and I trust that you do as well. But the message I would summarize from this section, I, I would say this way, is that remembering our past endurance and our future reward Helps us persevere in the present. Uh, that remembering our past endurance and remembering our future reward helps us to persevere in faith in the present. And so the author begins this text, uh, this section of, of Hebrews 10, by kind of metaphorically turning the, the readers backward in time, kind of turning their attention backwards in their life uh, to, to look back at their own past sufferings. And that, that's where I want us to start to see what he was calling them to remember and why he was. Calling Calling them to remember it, so he starts verse 32 right with this this command. He says to recall the former days. So he's calling them to look back on their life. We don't know whether it was months ago, years ago. Uh, we don't know when, but he's calling them to recall something. Uh, God in his kindness has given us memory as human beings. I don't know if you've thought about that much before, but that is a wonderful gift. It can be a painful gift, but it's a wonderful gift of God uh, to us as human beings to be able to recall the past. Uh, These people would not have had the blessings we have of photo books, photographs period, right? They wouldn't have had the ability, they wouldn't have had Facebook memories pop up and things like that, uh, but they still had memories within their minds, right? And uh, this author is calling them to tap into that. Uh, and it, those memories can be sweet, right? They can be wonderful things to, to enjoy and to reminisce, but they can also be really painful, Uh, When we look back at the hard parts of our life, the difficulties that we would wipe off the record if we could. uh, Memories can be painful as much as they are sweet. But he's calling them to look back to painful times. Uh, two difficult things that they experienced as Christians, and what he wants them to remember is the way that they endured those things, the way that the Lord brought them through those things. Not just that they happened, but that God carried them through, that their faith was sustained through those deep sufferings. And there's a bunch we don't know about what he's referring to, right? There's a lot I wish we could know of. Where did these people even live? We don't even know that. We don't know who was in charge. We don't know the exact types of things in opposition that were, were brought against them. Uh, but one thing that we can know, a few things we can know, I want to point out in this text about the past he's pointing them back to would be, I would say these sufferings that they experienced were because of their faith in Jesus. It didn't just happen to be that they were Christians who happened to suffer, but they were sufferings because they were Christians. I would say that because of how he says it in verse 32. He says, to recall the former days when, and then he says, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle. And so he's saying these things happened to them after enlightenment came to them, after the Lord by the Spirit turned the lights on in their soul and helped them see Jesus for who he is, that's when these sufferings started to happen. It didn't just happen to them because they were citizens caught in the crosshairs of something, but because they were Christians. And what he says in verse 32, what he's pointing them back to is he says that they endured a hard struggle with sufferings. The, the author, is, he's tapping into like athletic imagery or like a contest almost, uh, that, that uh, they endured this hard struggle or like a contest against suffering, against trials that came to them. And he is reminding them in that contest, you emerged victorious, like you came out the victor on those things where you have endured in the faith. They, but they had a hard struggle with sufferings. He says in verse 33 about these recipients themselves, he says that sometimes you were publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. We know, at least in the Roman world in general, in their time, that Christians would be publicly exposed. They would be tried to make made an example of. That's what the cross itself was, right? But then that would happen to early Christians, where those who were in charge would try to embarrass, try to shame, try to mock people publicly. And we find out later in Hebrews that these people hadn't yet been persecuted to the point of bleeding or dying but nonetheless he said he's calling them to remember there was some sort of public display of them where they were trying to be made an example of to the surrounding community of don't be like these people don't believe what, don't buy what they're selling. Don't join ranks with them. They, they were publicly exposed. There's one commentator I read who said, instead of necessarily them becoming a laughing stock of society, they were, the leaders who were in authority were trying to make them a gazing stock, whereas like the, the, they were trying to turn the public attention to these Christians, to embarrass them, to intimidate them. So we don't know what that means exactly, but he says you were publicly exposed, right, to reproach of people, to affliction. It's like affliction was brought to you by being publicly exposed. He indicates that some of them, at least some of these early Christians, maybe not the recipients of themselves, but in verse 34 he says that these early Christians, some of them were starting to be put in prison even for their faith. all right, We can pick that up just by the experience of the Apostle Paul as we read through the New Testament. But some of even their peers would have been put into prison because of their faith in Jesus. It's not just that they did something illegal and happened to be a Christian, but they were put into prison because of their Christian faith. And he points these readers back and says that when that happened to those people, you didn't pretend like you didn't know them, but he says you had compassion upon them, right? Verse 34. He says in verse 33 that even sometimes you were partners with the people who were being mistreated. So it was never far away from them. Even if it didn't happen to them themselves, they stayed unified with those people. They, they stayed brothers and sisters with them, seeking to encourage them. They didn't shrink back or try to dodge uh, bullets that may be coming to them. They stayed faithful to their fellow Christians and to Christ himself. And then the last detail we see in verse 34 is he says that they're property had been plundered, right? He said, "'You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property.'" So even people, we don't know details, but people had come into their place of residence. They had taken their things or destroyed their things. They had robbed them. They had sought to, to take away their possessions. So all of these sufferings had sometime previously in the recipients, these recipients' lives had happened. Uh, they had been publicly afflicted, mistreated, embarrassed. They had, some had been arrested. They had had things robbed. They had places maybe been looted at times. But what he is most calling their attention to is not just that these things happened, as horrible as they are, but what he tells them to recall is that you endured a hard struggle, right? That that it didn't just happen, but you endured those things. Like you pressed on in faith when those things were brought to you or when they were brought to your brothers and sisters. You have emerged on the other side of those things with your faith in Jesus intact, that's what he's wanting them to remember, that those things happen to you, and the Lord has sustained your faith. And I appreciate his call to tell them to remember the past, and I, I want to think about why he was telling them to do that. Why was he pointing them back to it? We tend to have, uh, if you're anything like me, I think we tend to have spiritual amnesia of sorts, that we just live in the moment, and we're consumed so much sometimes with the things that we're dealing with now, that we forget even things that have happened to us, things that we have gone through ourselves, we, we, they totally fall into like a memory hole that we, we don't remember, that we lose track of. But he is telling them, remember the things you've endured. Remember the difficulties that you've endured. Do not forget them. But we as human beings tend to view our present struggles as the greatest and most intense thing ever, don't we? Uh, that, if, if you want proof of that, and I say this as somebody who's slowly getting older, uh, Us older people, I think we often look back at the people younger than us, and when they talk about how difficult their life is, we kind of internally roll our eyes and say, just you wait, right? Like, we we think, yeah, right, like, your, your life is hard. I'm so sorry for you. But when we were there, it was hard. It's a different type of struggle, a different type of suffering, but it's no less hard. But we tend to just get isolated in the moment thinking, this suffering I'm facing now is the hardest ever. Like, this is the, the I cannot do this. And he, he is pointing them back to say, you have done this. Like, you have endured this. Like, you have faced things at least this hard. Uh, and you, the Lord has sustained your faith through it. You have pressed on in your faith and I think the reason this author is pointing them back to that is because the simple reality that remembering past endurance, that we've actually made this through, helps us have confidence, I can endure this as well. Like I, I can press on trusting in my Savior today just like I did last year. Just like I did with that circumstance 10 years ago, I can press on today. And we know that in life in general, right? If we've gone through a certain experience before, uh, even take it outside of spiritual realm, if we've done something before, it gives us great confidence we can do it again. Right? Like if I've, I've gone to a, a doctor's appointment that I was nervous about, uh, I can go to another one that I was nervous about. If I walk through a cancer diagnosis and treatment before, when that comes up again, I can have confidence in this moment that I can endure again in my faith and my hope. When I, I've had one loved one pass away and I've gone to a funeral that I didn't, couldn't think, I didn't think I could make it through, Then when the next funeral comes, I have confidence the Lord can help me through this as well. I can endure in my faith. And that these things are just true of us as human beings, but it's true of suffering uh, as a Christian in particular. That when we have endured these things before, we have have confidence that we can endure them again. That our faith doesn't have to be lost or Christ doesn't have to be abandoned. And so as word of application, I, I would encourage you, my fellow Christians in the room, To take time to do some inventory of your personal past when it comes to struggles and uh, discouragements and and sufferings that you endured. That is not a pleasant thing to do, but it is a helpful thing to do. Uh, To take time and purposely look back at the the scope of your life and, and note the sufferings that you have endured with your faith now still intact. That will be good for your soul to remember when the next suffering comes. And you're tempted to think, I cannot do this. Like this is a a bridge too far. This is a mountain too steep. Like when you remember those things, it motivates you to think and to know that you can endure in faith. And when we review our lives, we like to bypass those things, don't we? We just like to get kind of the highlight reel of sweet moments of life and remember God's blessings and those things. But we rob ourselves if we don't purposely also remember the difficulties he led us through. Like the dark valleys that he led us to. Because there's going to be more dark valleys. Like life is not just pleasant mountaintops. As a Christian, it has dark valleys. And when we remember, we've walked through those before. We have confidence we can walk through them again. And your faith, as you look back over those difficulties, you may remember accurately that your faith felt very weak in those moments. Like you didn't necessarily feel like a, a bright, burning uh, torch of faith. that maybe felt like a smoldering wick, uh, but the Lord has said He will not put out smoldering wicks, right? That, that He doesn't break bruised reeds. Like your faith may have been weak, but if you are here today believing in Jesus, He has kept your faith. He has sustained your faith. And you need to have confidence that even if your faith becomes weak again, that the Lord can sustain it and that He will sustain it no matter what trial you go through. And so take time to do something personal inventory, re- recollecting sufferings and trials in your life, and the, God's kindness to you to sustain your faith in the midst of that. That is a confounding thing when we continue to praise the God who allows suffering and trial in our life. Isn't It's a, a sign of his grace, a sign of his power in us, and it, it's, it's good for us to review those things at times. But I would also say, I want to try to make it through this part without uh, crying. I was anticipating anticipating this part I would also encourage you not just to take inventory of your personal past but also take inventory of our collective past and the ways that God has carried us through suffering and trial the way that God has carried other people and sustained their faith through trial that may even surpass your own that is a kindness of God to us like this letter we tend to read the New Testament especially as things written just to individual people like, hey, you, like singular you, remember and do this. He was telling this to this collective group of people, like, recall your collective former sufferings and recall your collective ways that God sustained your faith and the way that he helped you press on and endure in faith I would just note for you, I'm super excited to start chapter 11 next week. It's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. What he's about to do, what he's kind of setting the table for at the end of chapter 10, is just give us a litany of tons of people who've gone before us in the faith. Like people who endured this, or who pressed on in faith in that. It benefits us to do that. To look at the examples of other people who've gone before us and who have suffered. uh, who Who have pressed on in faith. Because those are our spiritual ancestors. Our spiritual ancestors are not the like noble, respected, elite people. Our ancestors are people who are mistreated and opposed and mocked and just embarrassed. Those are who we are. Those are those we are part of, right? That's how he ends this text. Those are who we belong to. So I would encourage you to take some time to think through both church history in general. Uh, Most of us don't even know anything about church history. Uh, But think through, and I can point you to resources if you want some. Learn about people, brothers and sisters, who have endured great sufferings throughout the centuries. Learn from the faith that the Lord sustained in them. Uh, That would be of benefit to you. But I would also, if you were part of our church family, take time to do an inventory of just the people in this room right now. Like, this is what I... I was having a hard time thinking about I have watched many of you endure great suffering with faith that felt weak, but that has endured. Like just, I won't name any particular people in this room because I didn't ask for permission to. But you don't have to just look to like famous, worldwide known people like uh, Corey Ten Boom and people like that who have done great sufferings. You can look around in this very room, and there are men and women who have lost their spouses who have endured in faith. There are men and women who have lost their children and who have endured on pressing on in faith, trusting the God who took them. There are people who have lost uh, their spouses, people who have been abused, people who have been cheated on, like people who've been abandoned by people and have pressed on in faith, people who've received cancer diagnoses themselves and endured on in faith. There there have been people uh, who are in, uh, there's a family in our church where their mother is in the hospital way more than she is able to be here, but she presses on in faith in the hospital bed right? Like, take inventory of the sufferings of the people in this very body and learn from them. The ways that they have pressed on in faith, and if you lack it in your life, borrow it from them. See that they believe this, and it helps you remember that we believe this together. And when those trials come to me, the Lord will help me as well. Like, He will sustain my faith as well. And so, we don't have to pretend like everything is all right and good and pleasant in our lives. It is good for us to be honest about the struggles we're in the midst of now and the struggles we've gone through before because those benefit our brothers and sisters who are going to go through those things themselves. And so take time to do inventory, to, to look around in this very room and learn for the, from the endurance of brothers and sisters here. So that he pointed them first to their past, to remember how the Lord sustained them in their faith. Uh, and he says, verse 34, I didn't want to miss this. He says that they didn't just endure those things, But he says about the plundering of their property specifically, he says, you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Did you catch that? Like joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. How could people do that? Like how could people, when their their possessions are being robbed or ransacked or trashed, like how on earth could people joyfully accept those things? And I think what he does, what this author does, is if he had started by turning them to their past and turning their attention to their past, it's like now in this text, he's also turning their eyes to the future and he's like lifting their chin up to greater realities than just the, the present sufferings that they're in. And so he he points them now in this text also to the future and what awaits them in the future as a motivation for present endurance. Not just looking back, God's helped me thus far, but to remember and anticipate where he is leading me to, what he has promised in the future. And so I want to take a few minutes and show you how he points them to their future as Christians. And I trust that it will help us to do the same. So these people had endured sufferings, the plundering of their property, imprisonment, public reproach, and affliction. They had endured those things. He says in verse 34, he tells us why, and he's reminding them why they had endured that in the past. He says in verse 34, you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, Then he immediately turns and tells them, tells us why they did that. Since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession presently and an abiding one, Like one that they knew would last, that would never get taken away. Uh, He's saying, you knew that back then. Like back then you were looking to the future. You knew that God had granted you this possession and you knew you were going to keep it. You knew it was going to be granted to you on the last day. Uh, And he's reminding them of that. That their earthly possessions had been taken, or at least just made a mess of, their, their earthly things. But he's reminding them, you have been given something better and longer lasting than earthly things. Like, remember that. He's he's saying, you once believed that, continue to believe that, that you've been given a a better and an abiding possession. This is important for us as Christians to remember, because Jesus has gained us a better and abiding possession than the things of this earth. Uh, The things of this earth can be wonderful and they can be sweet gifts of God, but in Jesus Christ and what he has done for us, God has granted to us a better and an abiding possession. What, What he has gained for us that cannot be touched by people, that cannot be taken by people is not just prosperity in this life, but he has gained us by his suffering on the cross, by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus has gained people like us who deserve hell and judgment From God, he has gained us God's favor. He has gained us the forgiveness of our sins by suffering as a substitute on the cross. In his resurrection, he has gained resurrection for us, right? That that he has started a new creation. Uh, He has gained for us an inheritance uh, that should blow our minds. uh, That we are not just inheriting some fortune here on earth. We are inheriting the new earth, right? Like that is the possession that we have been granted through the work of Jesus, that he suffered for us, was raised for us, and we who deserve nothing, and if anything, we deserve judgment and God's anger. We have been given this possession that should blow our minds, that should blow our souls, like that that, that just that should be unfathomable to us, That I get God's forgiveness. I get to be part of God's people now and into eternity. I get to be part of the new creation that God is establishing where there will be no more death or tears or suffering or opposition or public reproach and affliction, where I will get to be with God and with his people forever. That is a better and an abiding possession. You can take your millions of dollars. You can take your glamour and prestige and fame in this world. Give me that every day of the week and all time into eternity, right? That is a better and abiding possession. And they knew this. It's not just that they suspected they might have this abiding possession. He says, you joyfully accepted the plundering since you knew that you had a better and abiding possession. This is not a speculative kind of putting our chips in and hoping this is true. This is true. And we know it's true. They knew that that hope of eternal life and resurrection was true because of what we celebrated last Sunday, right? That, that Christ had suffered upon the cross in our place, but God raised him up from the dead as evidence that his promise is true, that he, ha- he can and will give forgiveness to all people who unite themselves by faith with Christ and that he will raise us all up to eternal life just like he raised Jesus up. They knew it. They didn't just guess it or hope it, they knew it, that it would be true of them if they persevered in faith. And that knowledge of what was to come, that abiding possession, that better possession, is what he says helped them to endure the taking of their earthly possessions, right? Jesus himself had taught about this. Like many of you have read this before in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said to his disciples, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and hear this, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. These Christians knew that when their property was being plundered, their their things were being taken, but they knew what no one could take, what no one could touch, was the forgiveness of their heavenly father and the confidence and the certainty of eternal life on the other side of the grave. That is what they knew could not be taken from them. And they knew they had that. And so I let them hold these things of earth more loosely and to respond with graciousness and joy even when their property was plundered. And he's reminding them that wasn't just true back earlier in your life. That same promise is true today. That same promise of eternal life and the possession that you have and will have is still true today. Verse 35, he says to them that there is great reward in their confidence. If they hold on to their confidence in Christ, he says, there's still great reward for you to come. Just like you used to believe, still believe that. There's great reward to come to you. And in verse 36, he says uh, that you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. He's wanting to remember still, what God has promised is still there. Like it's still God promising it. It is still yours as you're united with Jesus. It is no less uh, true today than it was back then. He's pointing them to the future and saying that is sure and steady it is an unmovable thing like it is yours and i i want you just as fellow christians i want myself just as a word of application in this section to regularly reflect upon what awaits you in the future just like when we're thinking about our troubles like we tend to get isolated in the present and think the past was just easier and not hard We also just get tunnel vision on the present and forget that there's a glorious, glorious future ahead of us. Like we forget that, we lose sight of that, but this text and countless others throughout the scriptures call us to remember what is to come. To not just remember the complexities of what's going on now as hard as they are, but to not forget what is to come. The the reward and the blessing and the favor of God that is to come. Jesus did not die and rise again to give you your best life now right? He may give you blessings. He has given us all blessings of some sort in this life, but he did not die upon the cross to gain you riches here and to gain you a claim amongst people. He died upon the cross and was raised from the dead to gain you God's favor and God the resurrection from the dead and eternal life and the gift of the Holy Spirit, all these things. That is what he died and was raised to gain you. And that is what will be yours if you are united with Christ by faith and remembering what is to come, remembering the resurrection, remembering the new Jerusalem. He's about to really key into this. The rest of the book of Hebrews is pointing them forward in time to the city that we get to be part of and the people that we will be part of for eternity that can't be shaken. When we keep our eyes toward that, it helps us to endure sufferings and trials now, take what you want, hurt me how you want, and it's going to sting, and it's going to be awful, but I know what is to come on the other side of the grave, and it helps me, it helps us to endure. If you know me, you know I love Charles Spurgeon. He was like the king of illustrations. Uh, He said this one I thought was too good to not share. He was talking, in their day, they would still ride horses a lot, and he said this thinking of like, looking homeward and how it, moti- how it motivates us to endure pain and difficulty. He said, my horse invariably comes home in less time than he makes the journey out. He pulls the carriage with a hearty goodwill when his face is towards home. Should not I also both suffer and labor the more joyously because my way lies toward heaven and I am on a pilgrimage to my father's house, my soul's dear home and resting place. That is good. Uh, Just even in the natural world to see there's even horses know when they're going home that they can endure hardship a little more than when they were going somewhere foreign. And that must be true of us more. We don't belong here. We belong in the kingdom of God and in the new earth that he will set up eventually. And the closer and closer we get to that, it should make us be able to endure real hard, truly hard sufferings, but endure them with more joy because we know where we're going. Like we know what awaits us when we walk through that gate of death. It's painful as it may be the whole point in this text of him pointing them to the past and pointing them to the future though is at the risk of repeating myself and saying the obvious is to motivate their perseverance in the present like he's saying look back look forward but in the present press on in faith and that was this is not just a message to these ancient people it is a message to us and to you fellow Christians today to press on in faith now Press on in faith today. Uh, endure in your faith. He's, I love how simple he is in the start of verse 36. He says, just matter of factly, and this is an understatement, you have need of endurance. Hear that, fellow Christians. You have need of endurance. Like you must persevere in your faith. Like faith is not just to be a one-time event that's exercised like a point of sale or something where we're just convinced to believe something, a transaction happens, then my faith just can vanish. What we are called to is a lifetime of faith, a lifetime of trusting in our Savior, Jesus Christ. He's, he tells them, right, that they will receive great reward. And he says that they will receive what's promised, verse 36, when you have done the will of God. Like when your race is complete, we sing sometimes in, in songs here. Like that is when reward will finally truly be ours in real time. We have taste of it now. There's reality of union with Christ now. But we will know it fully then when we have persevered in faith to the end. This is true for every single one of us. And he grounds this call to say, you must endure. Like, you must persevere in your faith by quoting Habakkuk chapter 2. That's what he's quoting in verses 37 and 38. Don't have time to give a lot of context to this, but this is a surprisingly often quoted passage in the New Testament. It was a favorite of the Apostle Paul. Um, But he's quoting here from Habakkuk as he's talking to his audience, whoever wrote this letter, Uh, and he's telling them this call to persevere in faith is not just a new thing post-resurrection. Like, this, this is something God's people have always been called to do, is believe God today, keep believing Him tomorrow, keep believing and believing and believing and believing until God brings you home. Like, you must press on in faith. And so he, he quotes Habakkuk 2, and he, quoting that text, reminds him that a day is coming when Christ will return, when judgment will take place, and he says that the righteous one not just will have faith in one moment of his life, right? But that he or she will live by faith. That they, they will have a life marked by trust in the promises of God. It's going to be something that endures. And then to make the counterpoint, he ends in verse 38 by saying, if that person shrinks back, God speaking, my soul has no pleasure in him. I want that to sit in your heart. I don't want you to rush past that. Like he is saying, if we had some semblance of faith in a moment, but then that faith shrivels and evaporates to absolute nothing, to where we no longer trust the promises of God, where we, where we have abandoned him, where we have walked away from him, he, this is God speaking, saying, my soul has no pleasure in that person. That is language of judgment, and condemnation that awaits those who shrink back and lose Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is that they will be judged by God. Not that God will just look back on some momentary fleeting decision at some VBS or something when you were like five, but did you have faith that endured? Did you have legitimate faith that endured through your life? That is a sign of those who are united with Christ. And we don't gain his favor by our endurance, but it is those who endure who are truly united with Christ, who will truly be part of his new creation people. And I, I want you to note here in the end of this passage the importance, and this is really going to get ramped up in chapter 11, the importance of faith when it comes to endurance. Because I think sometimes when we read things like, you have need of endurance, we think, man, I, I am weak when it comes to willpower and things like that. I just need to like, pull myself up by my bootstraps and just try harder to believe. and like, I, That is what's going to get me in God's graces and keep me in God's graces. But this author, and he's going to just rapid fire this through chapter 11, is saying, you endure by faith. That is how you endure. That is what must carry on in your heart is that you trust in the promises of God, not just matters of willpower. We, we tend to think that the key to persevering through faith and trial is things like courage and willpower or like I'm just a type A type of person who's just gonna plow through this and I'm tough as nails and I have thick skin. And, but that's what we think of sometimes when we think of persevering in, in following after God. But what this author is saying from this quote from Habakkuk and then what he says in verse 39 as well is the key to endurance is very simply faith in the promises of God. To keep believing again and again and again and again that what God has promised so the forgiveness of sin, the resurrection of the dead, his favor to those who trust in Christ. To trust that those promises are true. That is the key to endurance. Those other things will come from that. They're downstream from that. Your courage, your boldness, your confidence to face opposition and endure it, will come from your simple belief that God's promises are true right? That, that his promises are true. So to prepare for our current struggles or future struggles, our sufferings in life, very simply what we do is to fortify our trust in God's promises to remind ourselves again and again and again of the promises that God has made and of the character of the God that made them. That, that he has made these grand promises and that he will keep these grand promises. Because if we prepare for times of trial and times of calm, right? We prepare for sufferings and trials when there's a lack of suffering and trial in our life because when tri- you know this in your experience and I do too, when trials and sufferings come to you, you don't just suddenly become a new person, do you? The, the, the sufferings and trials and opposition that comes to us do not change what is within us, they reveal what is within us, right? And they just make it deeper and truer. It's not that they flip a switch and now I become a person of faith and trust in God because trials come. It's if you are a person of faith and trust in God prior to the opposition, prior to the suffering, then those things are going to grow and become more intense typically in your life. This trust and this confidence in the Lord. But those trials will not create faith. They will strengthen it and they'll show it right? And so we need in the calmer moments of our life to do things like what we're doing this morning, to come together, to remember through singing and praying and reading and hearing the word preached that God's promises are true, uh, that he has made promises and that I'm a recipient of those promises and he will come good on them. And we must remember this just as a word of application Also, when we're doing evangelism when we're seeking even to disciple our own kids, I really, I mentioned this earlier, but I really want to make sure that we are not just trying to view evangelism as like a point of sale, like at a store or something where I'm just going to give you a quick little sales pitch, tell you a little bit, just barely enough for you to know what sin is and the cross a little bit and uh, the resurrection. Do you buy that? Like, do you, do you want it? That is how a lot of evangelism takes place. It's like we just offer some super little trite explanation of the gospel and say, do you want to go to hell or do you want to go to heaven? And people are like, oh, I I want to go to heaven, of course. And you say, well, just pray this prayer. And uh, That is not saving faith because most often what happens in those really trivial trite moments is that person will say something to make themselves feel good in the present, but they are not truly resting their soul upon Christ. They are not establishing a faith in him that will sustain them through the ways of suffering and trial. They are just trying to not go to hell. And like when we share Christ with people, we need to present a gospel with them that is calling them to be united with Jesus. Not just check a box of belief, but to say, I really do believe he has suffered for my sins. And that he was raised so that I might be raised someday. And I want to live my life for him, not just get out of hell. But I want to live my life for him as the Lord he is, to to serve him with my very being. And they might not have words to say that at the beginning, but we need to make sure that they know the stakes. Jesus said to count the cost before you came and followed him, right? And we need to make sure that we are calling people to a deep abiding trust in Jesus, not just uh, what do you decide in this moment. are you willing the rest of your life to trust this Jesus? To even trust your eternity to this man who was crucified and raised from the dead? That is what we are calling people to. Because they, that person, and we, me and you, we need to be united with Jesus on the day of our death as much as we do on the day of our conversion. Like we must be united with him when we come to the point of death, not just at some previous point in my life, but I need to be united with him today. I need to be united with him when that day of death finally comes. I wanted to end by sharing a simple short story. Uh, There's a lot of these throughout church history. I, I told you to... I encourage you to be a student of church history and learn through the sufferings of people and how they've endured. Uh, one man I wanted to just very briefly tell you about and share a quote from him on how the Lord helped him endure in his faith it was a man named John Bradford. Uh, he lived in England uh, back in the uh, 1500s. and In 1555, he was uh, executed. He was burned at the stake. Uh, along with a young man, probably the age of some of you college students in here, a young man named John Leaf. I cannot fathom what that would have been like. I was saying earlier how weak we are at times, but I am encouraged to read of these brothers and sisters and the way that they endured even death, not just as Christians, but because of their Christian faith. And as those two men uh, were nearing death and being ready to be executed and burned at the stake... Uh, John Bradford uh, said several things that have been recorded for us. But one of the things he said, uh, and it's been recorded for us, that he said to this young man, John Leaf, as they could probably see the flames about to be coming. He said to this young man, he said, Be of good comfort, brother, for we shall have a merry supper with the Lord this night. That's what he said. That guy believed The promises of God. Because he was given opportunity to recant and to shrink back and to to take things back. But he didn't because he knew that this story is true. Like it wasn't just religious belief that he had grown up hearing. Like he believed in the depths of his soul. Not just that Christ had died and been raised. But that he too would get to share in that resurrection. That they could burn his body. They could take his life. They could try to hurt him. And I'm sure they had leading up to that. But they could not take the favor of God from him. And they could not rob him of the resurrection that was coming. And he knew that on the other side of those flames. On the other side of death that he would be with Christ. And he called this other brother, keep believing this. Like, this is true. Like, we're going to have a merry supper with the Lord this night. And they both presumably believed that to the point of death. And I believe that they did. Uh, that, that, that God did meet them. That they are with Christ. That someday we will even get to meet them uh, if we are part of God's people. But that is an example of enduring faith. That in that moment, they didn't just prepare themselves to, like, Thirty minutes prior to that, right? It was a lifetime of them, uh, in the face of opposition, reminding each other and other Christians, reminding them this story is true. Like the story of the gospel is true. The the hope of the resurrection is true to all who are united by Christ, uh, are with Christ by faith. And that is what we remember every Sunday as we gather together: is that this story is true. Uh, This story is true. We celebrated it last Sunday, the resurrection of Christ that followed on the heels of the crucifixion of Christ. And if that story is not true, then we should shrink back when opposition comes, right? If we're just playing a game and like doing religious kind of exercises, when opposition comes, if that's what we really think, we are going to shrink back. We're just going to seek relief wherever we could find it. But if this story is true, we must keep believing it and call each other to keep believing it no matter what suffering comes our way. No matter what opposition comes our way, right? Because we do, fellow Christians, have a better and enduring possession, right? And knowing that, believing that is what should put steel in our spiritual spines, right? And should put joy in our souls no matter what suffering God brings. Amen?